Welcome to another episode at the Fitness Oracle. Today we sit down with Jerry Fu from Adapting Leaders. He is a conflict resolution coach who helps Asian American leaders advance their career and life journeys. Having taken on several pharmacy leadership roles, Jerry started coaching in 2017 to help other Asian American professionals deal with conf- with the conflict that they encounter at work in their cultures and within themselves, within themselves. Uh, in this um, in, in this very interesting uh, podcast that I actually had with Jerry, we actually t- touched up on some very interesting topics that just doesn't surround the Asian community, surrounds everybody. But uh, using his um, speciality in the Asian culture, he, we were referencing a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of, his historical stuff with him and what he's been through and how he helps other people. Uh, we talk about stuff like conflict resolutions, uh, career pivots, personal growth, some interesting books that he's read. And, uh, and in the end we talk about like culture change and how to go about, uh, doing something like something as huge as that. Um, I, I took, I got a lot out of this and, um, I know that you will too. There's a lot of the gold nuggets in here. So as usual, grab a pen and paper, have a seat, pull out a cup of joe, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Fitness Oracle, where we have real conversations with real people just like you, with real stories just like yours. And this is one of their stories. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Jerry Fu from Adapting Leaders. Jerry is a conflict resolution coach who helps Asian American leaders advance their career and life journeys. Having taken on several pharmacy leadership roles, Jerry started coaching in 2017 to help other Asian American professionals deal with conflict they encounter at work with their culture and within themselves. Prior to starting his coaching business, Jerry served as a pharmacist and began facilitating leadership works workshops in 2012. Today, he offers a range of coaching services, which includes individual coaching, work group workshops, and keynote presentations. He has appeared on over 90 podcasts and plans to appear in plenty more. Jerry, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, this is going to be one of those... Uh, off the cuff kind of podcasts, and I can't wait to get into it. But before we do, how is Houston? I've always loved Texas and the Lone Star State. Oh, it's hot. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's 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 uh, back to normal. People like acting as if you know we're not in the middle of a pandemic still, and uh, you know it's kind of nice, uh, even if you're kind of scared sometimes. So uh, yeah, it's I, but I love it here. So yeah, keep it coming. Oh, that's awesome. That's one of the reasons why I moved down to uh, Florida is because uh, Toronto was the same. It's did seem they don't want to get back to what it was back then. And 
what it was back in the day. So it is what it is. And I'm just glad I got a little bit of taste of uh, how it used to be. So awesome. Um, getting into the podcast now, uh, uh-huh. I always ask this about all my, all my guests recently, and it's, I'm curious, what got you into this line of work that you do currently? Yeah. Yeah. Basically what I tell people is that, um, in the process of trying to save my pharmacy career, I realized that there were a bunch of skills that, you know, were overlooked in my upbringing as important. And you realize that these skills like leadership and conflict resolution, it's like, it's nice to, to mention, but only as a nominal thing. But in terms of actual development of how to become a leader or how to get good at conflict resolution, there was very little to that effect uh, in terms of resources or training, right? Much of the emphasis in my upbringing was placed on learning a profitable trade skill, whether it's you know finance or healthcare or engineering or other things that you know the old older generation wanted held in high esteem, which is understandable, right? Because that's where where the priority was. They needed they needed a reputation and they needed money. And so, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter what skin color you are if you have to call me doctor. But uh, in the process of becoming a pharmacist and recognizing that I was too often taking the path of least resistance when it came down to dealing with difficult customers or patients, um, I realized that, uh, you know, I needed to learn some uh, different skills, but, you know, I didn't know where to look. And until I got fired and then, you know, kind of got back on my feet, I, you know, I went through the training, I went, you know, I found some resources, friends helped me out. And then I said, well, you know what, I want to turn around and help people the way I wish I had been helped, uh, knowing their struggles, knowing that Asian Americans in their 20s and 30s are dealing with the same problems that I went through in that phase and say, hey, you know what, I can't exempt you from the challenges. Uh, You know, everyone's going to have their own journey, but maybe we prepare you a little better for them. And so that's why I have a heart for the clients that I do. That's awesome. Um, I know coming from Greek background, there's certain expectations of uh, Greek men that have to ful- be fulfilled, like what kind of career and your parents tell you straight up what kind of career they expect you to have. Um, there's many times where um, I myself my have had conflicts with my parents because they don't get what I'm doing. Uh, and uh, I, I want to dig a little bit deeper, but just into this in just a little bit but uh how about you how how is your journey with uh with your parents and their expectations of you yeah it's uh it's an ongoing debate i um i think that the only and you hate to play this game but after enough time you realize they start to realize just how little control they actually have you know over your life and it's tough to see them at an age, they're in their seventies now where they've realized their, you know, their mortality is very much evident in their lives. And, you know, um, my mom will always be my mom. I remember, you know, just want her wanting a stable life for me with a stable job and a, and a, and a, a wife that would genuinely care for me that wasn't overly difficult or anything less like that. And, you know, when my, life didn't end up with a lot of these things when I moved home in my mid-20s you know like she just kind of kicked it up in another notch and so it's like okay I find the girl for you marry her 
no, I want you to work for this company, even though she'd never worked a day in her life in pharmacy. She just knew best because she was my mom. And it wasn't until probably my late thirties where my mom would just was more of the kind of, okay, you know what, uh, you know, don't worry about getting married. It's, it's okay. Like I'm not, I'm not hung up on that anymore. Um, even though I think secretly she's still going to always be my mom. And so she's always going to try to maybe help out whenever she can, but uh, and, it's, and it's tough to admit that, that the only way that they would actually let go is when they realize that time is not on their side and that they realize, you know what, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, in I don't have as much control as I thought I did. It's funny. I'm laughing. No, I'm not laughing at you because I'm laughing no. because you're talking and you're talking about my life too. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, you're, it resonates with you. That's why you're laughing. We're, we're yeah, good. I'm like, holy shit, this is like really what's happening in my life. Like, it's mm -hmm. it's it's crazy. But um, uh, have there been times where you've just looked at uh, what you're doing? And have there been times where you'd be like, you know what, just, you know, this is too much. I quit. I'm just going to go back to being a pharmacist. <laughs> Plenty of times. <laughs> it's that's what entrepreneurship is, right? You half the time you just the most successful entrepreneurs just don't know when to quit, right? That that's really the half the fun. It's just when do you quit? Um, and yeah, believe me, it's there have been times my parents would still even try to talk me out of this. I remember, you know, the only reason I survived covering most of my expenses my first year in business was that I, you know. I got into private tutoring because I'd been doing that for a while and I realized I needed that money to, because I didn't have enough coaching clients and I was in the red and, you know, my heart's going nuts. And, um, I remember my dad called me at one point and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I need tutoring money to cover business expenses. And he's like, but you have a pharmacist job. Like, why do you, why do you need to do all this? This is an unnecessary risk during COVID to like tutor students during the pandemic. And I just said, well, you know, I, I want this leadership coaching business. And he's just like, what's that? And, he, and you know, I tried telling him and he's like, no, 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 no. Like stick with your pharmacy job. Never mind the fact that my pharmacy job has had so many ups and downs and making sure that somehow my paychecks haven't bounced, uh, you know, and there's no point in trying to worry my parents with this information. That's the other challenge is just to say, you know, how much is really useful to them? Because my parents will ask me, you know, how's your job going? And in my mind, I'm just like, well, we just lost 50,000 to an audit, you know, that an insurance company wanted to take back. But, you know, yeah, no, mom, I'm fine, right? <laughs> just like, because telling them that we're losing 50,000 doesn't, you know, sets a sets in place, uh, sets a cycle of worry in, in place that does not actually solve the problem. And so you just realize, you know what, uh, there's only so much I need to tell them because yeah. it's just not useful if I disclose any more than that. So, yeah, I mean, we've had... We've come to, I've come to grips with the fact that, you know, I still have my pharmacy job and until I genuinely make enough money for my coaching business to justify a pivot, yeah, you know, it's still going to be there, but oh, we'll that's see. Cool. Yeah, we'll see. That's cool. That's cool. Well, I hope it, uh, I hope it takes off for you. I really do. <laughs> you and me um, both because the alternative is not great. <laughs> <laughs> um, what keeps you pushing forward with your coaching business what keeps that drive there for you to keep going forward mm, yeah yeah and i think it's it was kind of similar to the same drive after i got fired you're just like i gotta pay my bills <laughs> you know? you're just like people people think oh you have such resilience i'm just like mm, you know when you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from i guarantee you, you're gonna you're gonna get fired up pretty quickly but 
uh, in this case, it is a, a good driver to remind myself. Number one, I don't want to go back to another pharmacy job. Like I can, I'm happy to put that on record. It's just not, it's just not a, it's not an ideal option. Uh, but uh, I'll share a story just as an example of just what makes this uh, work so rewarding. So one of my clients uh, had a really passive aggressive boss. And you know, so she was out one evening with friends at dinner and um, her boss calls, tries to call her and she sees her, her phone and she lets it go to voicemail because you know, she's busy. Next day at work, he just blows up at her. He's like, how dare you ignore my call, right? I don't think you're committed to this job. You know, how dare you? I can't believe, you know, you think that you're better than me somehow because you picked up the call, all these other things, right? And so she, I get this call from her, you know, late Thursday night, she's just like, Jerry, like, how do I handle this guy? You know, how do I express the fact that what he did was disrespectful and inappropriate, but I don't want to lose my job, <laughs> you know, and I have this tension of, because what's the default, right, with most Asians, it's just like, let's just be deferential, yeah, we don't like it, we don't condone it, but, you know, it's just, we're, let's not rock the boat, because, you know, right now, we got to play the long game. Sometimes that's true, but, you know, we've settled for that for a little too long, right, and so, as I coached her through the situation, right? Um, the, I walked her through five steps. Uh, you know, first, hey, what kind, what kind of conversation do you want to have? Like, how do you want this to go, right? Are you looking for an apology? Are you just looking just to kind of, you know, iron out some of the expectations so he's not just hiding behind vague expectations so he has an excuse to blow up at you whenever he wants? Like, what are you hoping will happen from having this conversation? right? Do you want an apology? What's going on? Okay. Then we talked through that. She's like, well, you know, yeah, I'd like to just explain why my behavior was not meant to be disrespectful, even though he took it that way. And just to say, okay, let me like figure out how he's wired so that I can avoid getting into this kind of argument again. It's like, okay, that's a fair, that's a fair expectation. Uh, step two was to find 10 seconds of courage to initiate that conversation, right? To pick up that phone, send that email, send that text, and just say, hey, we'll call him Steve. Hey, Steve, like, you know, it sounds like we should sort out what happened yesterday. Um, it's, you know, it's now a good time. Like, okay, so set that in motion, lock the gate behind you so you can't back into like rationalizing, right? Because I, I you know, I'm me being conflict versus well, that was, that's what I would do. I'd be like, ah, I don't want to have this conversation. It's not so bad, right? It's like, no, set it in motion, lock the gate behind you, and then you have no choice but to move forward. Step three was to help her script her critical phrases, right? And so we say, okay, what do you need to say? What do you think he's going to say in response? Like, what kind of pushback are you going to anticipate from him? And then how do you want to counter that, right? Uh, and so we would say things like, I'm sorry, things aren't better between us, right? Now, like, you want to acknowledge that things are broken without blaming him. And you don't have to take responsibility for things that you aren't responsible for either. So here's that balance of, okay, let's kind of diffuse the situation and come forward with open hands and say, hey, look, I'm coming to you in, in, a, in, effort, in an effort to reconcile, okay? That's the purpose of this conversation, right? And so we said, okay, you know, maybe he's gonna say, well, you know, I just think it's disrespectful if you don't pick up. And you can explain to him, hey, I, I was in the middle of something and I, you know, I'm sorry if this came across as disrespectful, it was not meant to be disrespectful, right? And 
so now you start to kind of separate the action from the intention so you know he can't he can't possibly know like and you could tell him you know what if i was in the hospital with my mother like what if she had a medical emergency are you going to get mad at me you know for not picking up then as well right so well you know i wouldn't do that it's like okay well you know you know can you trust that even if i don't pick up then you know am i allowed to get back to you later right and you start to have these things because it's hard to imagine success when you've never experienced it, right? And so this is where someone with a little more experience can help you. So yeah, number three, scripts, the critical phrases. Uh, step four, rehearse these phrases, right? Hey, and I told her, practice in front of a mirror. How's your tone? How's your body language? Uh, you know, how, how is your phrasing? Have you ironed out your words so that you don't get tripped over them? Can you get a friend to role play as the boss that you need to confront, you know, things like that. And then step five, hey, do it. You set things in motion. You've set a time. Follow through because anything less than that would be, you know, unhelpful. And the the thank you email she gave me, John, after she had this conversation, she's just like, oh my gosh, like I'm so glad I got this off my chest. I really don't know how I would have gotten through this without your help. And you know, it was just such a relief, um, getting that email, knowing that my work was was making a difference. That's amazing. It sounds like um, like this whole conflict resolution that you do is a lot of role playing um, with yourself or with somebody else that's other than the person. But sometimes it doesn't go to script. Of course. Yeah. Most, yeah. So, well, sometimes it does. I'd say, okay, there's, there's, there's days where it goes exactly like it's mm -hmm. supposed to go as you yeah. rehearsed it, this and that. Mm -hmm. But what about, um, what about when it doesn't go to script? Yeah, no, I mean, that, no plan survives attack by the enemy, right? It's just, you have an idea, you throw it, you have, you're like, oh, I've, I came up with this recipe. And then like, and then you try the spices and the, the spices like are a terrible combination. And you're like, oh God, you know, why did I make so much of this? Um, you know, part of it is just acknowledging when things went off the rails, right? You say, hey, you know, just ask the other person, hey, you know what? It doesn't sound like we're really making as much progress as we would like, you know? That's when you invite feedback to say, hey, how could, you know, I, you know, I came in with some ideas, it clearly is not going the way I'd like it to, and so I need your help, right? And I think part of it is just being humble and then just inviting the other person to help you Right, just to say, hey, look, you know, I've, at the end of the day, all I know is I wanted to get back to a point of a restored relationship where we like being around each other, enjoy working with each other. And, you know, here's what I had in mind. It's clearly not working. You know, what would you bring from your side? Right. And when you stay with this humble and curious and collaborative tone, uh, it's very hard for the other person to like, yeah, no, I, I, I don't. No, like, I just don't care what you're going to try to do. I just don't want to do it. It's like, wow, you know, that's the relationship must be in really bad shape if someone's willing to just be so petty as to just, you know, lock up. And I mean, we see it in politics all the time, right? People just kind of like, I would rather run this into the ground than to give you the chance to actually succeed. And it's, or to help us both succeed. And it's like, are you like, are you even like listening to yourself right now? <laughs> you know, don't say that to them. <laughs> yeah, don't say that. But that's what you're thinking, right? You're just kind of like, I can't believe this person is just gonna be a, you know, a jerk just for the sake of being a jerk. Like, okay, let me try to reset and humbly say, hey, look, I can't do my job well unless you do yours well. You know, I need your help with this. Are you willing to help me? Maybe 
you know, it comes down to that. Not, uh, not out of an era of desperation, but rather just one of humility and invitation to say, hey, look, you know, are we on the same team? Well, yeah. It's like, okay, you know, are we, are we trying to reach the same goals? And you know, do we want, would you rather help each other out or sabotage each other? Well, help each other out. Like, okay. Um, you know, I need your help then. You know, I need your input. Like, what would you do in my situation? And now you keep the uh, discussion productive, right? Instead of uh, just trying to be like, ah, oh, I'm right. And he just needs to like come around. Yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. That's a, that's a really good um, a way of going about that. Well, my, my next question is, um, what about the people who are completely conflict, conflict avoidance mm. at the workplace? And they will just say yes to everything just so they don't get into a conflict with other people. Like, that can be very detrimental to a person. What would you say to a person like that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was one of those people. So, you know, I, if I could talk to my former self, right, about, you know, these habits of just placating and then stepping back every single time, because you're like, well, I don't want to, you know, deal with the difficult issue. Um, I think you have to emphasize the safety of the environment, you know, and just ask them, you know, like, do you, in your strongest relationships, are you afraid to speak up? I'm sure they'll be like, well, no, right? Like if, if a friend, like if, and you could maybe just give a simple scenario, right? To say, hey, if I, you know, if a friend asks you to, invites you to go to a movie with them and you already have plans that day, like, would you say no? Well, yeah, you know, I would tell them, yeah, I, I wouldn't be afraid to tell them that I had other plans already. It's like, okay. So if you already are in a position where you know when, you can say no in a safe environment. What would it take to kind of bring that to our relationship? And then, you know, listen without judgment, right? You're there to support them. You're just there to learn. Um, you know, I would start with that just to say, hey, there are instances in your life where you aren't afraid to maybe say an answer that might upset the other person. So if there, if there are things like that, okay, you know, how do we bring that here? But if they said, you know, oh, no, I wouldn't say anything. I would just tell them yes. And then I just ghost him later. <laughs> you know, maybe they do that. Maybe they're willing to be that candid about it. And, you know, maybe you just flip it on them, right? Say, well, if someone did that to you, you know, how would that make you feel? Right? Like, would you be willing to give them the same grace that you give yourself? Or are you just going to, you know, secretly resent them and get upset later, right? And the goal, right, is to get them to realize, hey, you know what, you'd rather set the expectation up front right like trust in the value of the trust in the strength of the relationship that like rejecting the event does not mean rejecting the person and you know when they're able to realize oh these are two different things okay you know maybe maybe there's some progress there and you just have to be very gentle with this though right because if you if they feel like you're strong arming them at all i can guarantee you they're just going to again just agree with you politely and then not let the message sink in and then take it to heart so um that's what i would say with those people is just to say hey look you know and just make it about their decision to say hey look it's your decision right i am trying to provide an environment where people are not afraid to say no right i hope that the relationships are strong enough where people can be honest and upfront be tactful but but ultimately you know set appropriate expectations from the start instead of giving me the answer they think I want to hear, giving me the answer that they know they can actually honor. Um, you know, when you're ready to 
have a more productive dialogue around how to help that between us, please let me know. And you kind of leave the ball in their court and see what happens. It's interesting because uh, that's with somebody who's completely passive. The, mm -hmm. On the opposite end, you have the completely aggressive person who's, uh, I know everything, my word is God's word, and, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I don't need to have anybody else help me uh, because what I say is gold and you have to follow it. Mm -hmm. And that's where uh, a lot of conflict could fall into place. A lot of conflict, would, and especially mm -hmm. if uh, they're addressing superiors. Mm -hmm. um, how, would you, how would you approach somebody that has that aggressive tendency to not so be aggressive? <laughs> you got to tone it down man like no one's like no one likes this uh let me let me start off with the story i like telling people um just to kind of set the tone for my answer that i'll give you and i don't want to make it sound like this around my way i hope people will understand why i tell the story to begin with um there's this great story at the start of a book called the charisma myth where uh, there's a lady in england and both candidates are courting her to get her vote. So this is between William Gladstone and Benjamin Disraeli. And so the local newspaper interviews her after she's met with both candidates. And they say, you know, what'd you think? And she goes, well, after I met with Mr. Gladstone, I thought he was the cleverest person in England. I said, well, what did you think of Disraeli? And she goes, I thought I was the cleverest person in England. And what's funny is when people think Gladstone won because he was the cleverest person in England, but it's actually Disraeli because of the way he made her feel, right? And so in this case, right, I'm not saying schmooze. I'm not saying kiss up. Maybe you kiss the ring. I don't know. But, you know, I, from what I've observed, people like this, they, there's maybe some insecurities there. You know, there's a sense of, of ego that they want people to acknowledge. And the smart play is to let them be the biggest person in the room, right? Or make them feel like the biggest person in the room, make them feel like the most important person in the room. Because if you're a leader, right, this is one of those like shrewd moments where you just kind of let it happen mode in the sun. Because at this point, it's not about who's right. It's about, can you get him to do what you need him to do, right? And so in this case, you know, not that you have to butter him up, but just say, hey, look, you know, I. What can you genuinely appreciate this guy for? I guess let's back up for a second. What can you genuinely appreciate this guy for? What's he good at? What can you genuinely appreciate? Because if you are sincere, authentic in, in, your, in your compliments for him, he's going to see right through this, right? Um, and, you know, after you go in and say, hey, look, you know, I, I want to show you I appreciate you. I appreciate your efforts. I do. And, you know, I need your help with this. How, how would you suggest I handle the situation? Like the easiest thing Ben Franklin ever did, also from the same book, was to ask his like political adversaries for favors and ask for their opinions as well. Because there is like this cognitive dissonance where they're just kind of like, well, if I did a favor for this guy, you know, I must be, we must be on friends on some level. And it was just like this weird Jedi mind trick that Ben Franklin used very well. But this is one of those politics, you know, tactics that you just have to use and realize, you know what, if this is how this guy is wired, you have to use that to your advantage. Because the goal is not whether or not the leader gets credit. The goal is whether or not the leader got the job done through his team. And when you when the leader is able to kind of remove his ego from the situation, um, it's just better for everybody. But if this guy you need to feed his ego a little bit in order to in order to get him going. Hmm. 
and there's a there's a there's a right way to do that without feeling like you compromised yourself but there has to be a fine line between allowing somebody to run with their quote-unquote ego because mm -hmm. it could affect you it could infect the other employees as well and it, the other employees could see it as bullying mm -hmm. oh yeah 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 where do you draw that line um i mean no, it's, it's a fair question. It's different for every situation. So this is more of like a case by case basis. But I mean, the, the gauge is whether or not the other team members feel like you're undercutting them at this point, right? They're just like, hey, you're making way too many exceptions for this guy. Like we get it. He's like our best salesperson, but you're like, you're enabling him at this point. And now we feel like we're not getting as fair treatment or fair level of respect or credit as a result of you saying, yeah, I, I need to feed this guy's ego. So I think it just, you, you look at, you have to look at the overall team dynamics, right? Because yeah, on one hand, if you just kind of need to compartmentalize and be like, Hey man, like keep this between us and don't tell the other team, you know, like maybe there's a bit of that, but if you have to start making like, you know, two or three exceptions for this guy and he starts blabbing to the other teammates about, you know, how, you know, he's getting away with so much because, you know, you're, you're just enabling him at this point. Okay um then that that needs to you know i'm not i'll be happy to tell people i'm i'm a better leader as an influencer as opposed to like an authoritarian like i don't do well with titles actually um i'm i'm better as like the fun uncle as opposed to like the uncool dad but yeah uh sometimes you still have to be the uncool dad when the situation calls for it yeah you do you really yeah. do and sometimes it, uh slipping them uh you know tickets to the next tony robbins talk near <laughs> you kind of thing say you know maybe you need to uh, fix yourself a little bit in this kind of thing yeah. at, at what point does personal growth come into the in, into the picture where do where do where do you see that people start to realize that you know what i'm there may be some work that i need to do in myself Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Generating, generating that awareness is, uh, it's an, it's a hit or miss, <laughs> you know, with that I've seen with my team. Um, I think the times that I've seen people, uh, really realize just how much they want to grow is when, honestly, when they failed. You have to allow them, uh, the, the phrase that we like to use in leadership, you have to allow people to fail at an acceptable rate because you want them to fail at a rate where they're willing to learn and be receptive to feedback, but not so to the point where like the bottom line of the company, like, you know, goes under. Uh, and uh, I like, I'll give an example. So one time I had to put my lead technician on a six month probation. Like she let her license lapse. The bosses were not happy with her and they said okay well you know we've we've already run out of write-ups and like 90-day probationary period so we had to do something to really really get the point across that we, you know we were not happy with with her performance and oh like one of the provisions we had in that was that she had to make sure she clocked in by like 9 10 each day which was like a tall order for her because she was notoriously like like it was, it set a bad tone for the rest of the technicians and she just wasn't willing to acknowledge that. In fact, she's kind of letting it creep in again and I need to figure out when I can get a caller on it, but you know, it's harder in a post pandemic you know, uh, environment, but that's a whole nother conversation. But anyway, 
so I announced this six month probation to her and, you know, uh, at one point she like texted me on a late Friday to say, Hey, you know, if you guys are going to fire me, just go ahead and do it. And she's already kind of like trying to let herself out the door, even as she's like warning us how much we're going to miss her. And, you know, and I talked to her on a Saturday and she's just blasting me with everything. Just Jerry, you know, I was there for you every time you messed up, but where are you for me? Like, this is so not fair. I can't believe you did this. <laughs> and all I could just do was listen because she could justifiably bring up everything that she did, that, that I, all the mistakes I made, all the things that she did for me, and you know, fair enough. And it wasn't until we let the, you know, the punishment sink in for another day where she realized, you know, I, I have to admit, I have to own up to what I did that, that came to this. And, you know, it was my mistake to, in hindsight, to like, I decided to take a little pity on her and shorten it to like 150 days instead of like 180. And then even worse was she was, she told me later, she's like, yeah, she's like, that's actually really generous. And I was just kind of like, don't do this to me. Like, don't, you know, but it wasn't until, yeah, we kind of let this set in and we had to get her to realize, hey, you know what? This is not punitive. It feels punitive because we, you think we're just gunning for you when it's actually restorative. Because if you can show up every day on time for five months, that habit's probably going to stick. It's starting to relapse a little bit. Again, that's, that's not the discussion right now. But, you know, from there, we were able to have a much more productive discussion because I said, hey, you, you tell me you support me, like you said, when you yelled at me, but you actually don't. Because every time I preach being on time, you just keep insisting that being late is who you are. You just keep insisting that that's a part of your identity instead of really trying to become somebody who would actually be on time, like assuming the new identity of someone who's punctual. So what's it going to be, right? What do you think the best case for you to keep your job is? Is it to tell us how much we're going to miss you and make us feel guilty for firing you? Or is it working like mad to meet and exceed the expectations that you know are in place? It's your choice, right? And I make that very clear. Hey, look, you don't have to take my feedback serious. We've upped the stakes so that you probably should take my feedback serious. And that I'm not trying to demand anything of you. I'm actually trying to advocate for you, right? And so... I think affirming people, just recognizing, hey, I wouldn't tell you this unless I thought you could handle it. Um, that's That was a turning point for me. Let's just recognizing, hey, you know, the most loving thing to do is to not avoid the issue. Like, I love you too much to avoid the talking about this any longer. So um, that was a big turning point, I think, where people realize, oh, you know what, I could get defensive, I could, and I still have the people who do. And, you know, that's the, that's the game to play as you continue to finesse, hey, don't worry about deflecting. What are you going to do differently? Mm -hmm. That's all I'm asking for. How much of their personal lives do you think bleeds into their work performance and work performance bleeds into people's personal lives and bringing in that conflict between the two worlds? Oh, it happens all the time. Um, it, it, I mean, I, it took a while for my team to recognize for themselves. Like I, I could tell people about the arc of like how things are. And they're actually better overall. Um, 
but it took a long time because before I was just like this very laid back, you know, person. I'm just like, oh, you know, these technicians, when I first started, when we first started the company, I just brought on technicians from a previous company and said, you know, they know how pharmacy works. Surely they know what kind of expectations would be in play. Nope. If you don't give them any structure, they're just going to do whatever because they, they are not used to a smaller environment like the pharmacy we work in now where everything is scrutinized. Like you have very little margin for error or interruption. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you do not pull in money, right, like you're going to see it hurt, you're going to, your paycheck's going to hurt, your benefits going to hurt. And, you know, these technicians were used to working for bigger companies where, you know, oh, so what if I come in like 10 minutes late, I'm not going to see another dime, right? But now they realize for themselves, oh, you know, if I want, if I don't want Jerry, you know, scrutinizing my every move, then I need to be much more faithful uh, you know, with the resources and, and time that I have available, right? Um, and so when you give them a high level of autonomy, but you have to do it in such a way that recognizes, hey, look, guys, I brought you on here. I'm betting on you to help this company succeed. I cannot do my job well unless you do yours well. And I can't. And, you know, now people realize, oh, yeah, I should get here on time, not because Jerry said so, but because my teammates are counting on me, right? There's a higher level of accountability and buy-in when you allow them to have a say in what, what they think, you know, fair policy is. And, you know, sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. Like I, I wanted to do quarterly evaluations, they push back and they, they only want to do semi-annual ones. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, screw that. You know, I can't, I can't wake and do anything they don't want to do. Um, and, you know, it's, I try to gently remind them of expectations so again and again, like you have, that's part of being a leader is you have to bang the same drum, even though if you think like you're saying the same thing, like way too many times, but people forget. And so to gently remind them, hey guys, why did we agree that punctuality means? What are the benefits of punctuality? And so people now are better realizing, you know what? Yeah, let me communicate better if I, if I'm running late, let me control the narrative and make sure people aren't just coming up with their own story as to why I'm late again. And um, yeah, so to answer your original question, hopefully I didn't go off into too many tangents, but when you see people and they realize the stakes of what happens when they don't pull their weight, because they understand, right? To, oh yeah, with the whole work and personal thing, <clears throat> you know, their kids have emergencies from school, they got to leave early. And the rest of the team just says, okay, doesn't matter who's keeping score. We just got to step in and just handle the situation, right? And that's been really great to watch where people stop complaining about whether or not the situation is fair. And they just realize, you know what? If people are going to make exceptions for me, we have to make exceptions for everybody. And, you know, it's not about what's fair at this point. It's just, hey, guys, it doesn't matter how fair it is or not. They realize oh, we still have a job to do. And that has been probably the biggest eye opener for all of them is to recognize, oh, well, you know, and for me to rec remember that they're not like, they're not happy that they have to leave work early. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, guys, got to pick up my kids. Good luck. It's, hey, Jerry, no, I am genuinely sad that I, ha I can't stay at work. Like, I hate that this personal interruption happened again. Um, the other thing I'll mention with this is just when, you know, yeah, my lead technician just at one point, she just went through some really rough patches and just she would try to handle it and then she'd come into work late and it was just kind of like, no, burn a couple days of PTO, handle all that. We're going to, you know, hold the fort while you handle all your personal stuff off the clock. Like those are the boundaries, right? 
like uh, another situational share just to really pile you know wood on this fire. No, this is I love this because you can't make this stuff up. Uh, one of my technicians at one point, uh, she was going to get evicted from her apartment because her husband, who was supposed to handle rent, was using that money on his mistress. And then she's like, I can't show up for work tomorrow because they're about to evict us. And I said, you are out of PTO. You did not give us two weeks notice. If you do not show up for work tomorrow, I'm writing you up because now you're just enabling him. These boundaries are non-existent. And if you are not willing to say, hey, sorry, honey, you know, you should have just uh, not cheated on me. <laughs> Yeah. Let me, I, you got to go to work. You don't have the time off. We are not willing to cover for you because, you know, that's just not fair to the rest of the team. Because before I just be like, oh, yeah, let's just show them grace. Let's just show them more grace. You know, stuff happens out of that. It's like, no, she, she, you know, the circumstances suck. And if she doesn't show for work, we're, we're kind of screwed. So, no, like, we're not going to deal with the consequences of her husband's infidelity just because, uh, like, he put her in a tough spot. So, yeah. things like this, right? Wow, that's uh, yeah. You can't make that stuff up. <laughs> no, you can't. You can try, but you can't. Thanks for a great podcast, Father. Though, right? It does. <laughs> it does. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, I don't mind going off the cusp because you going off the cusp gave me a little bit another question that I wanted yeah, of course. to yeah, yeah. that I wanted to ask is: of um, Do you think it would be in the benefit of a company to invest in a personal development uh, outing? for their employees like like for example like the company would buy a whole bunch of tony robbins uh you know tickets for their employees to go and build that um that trust within themselves because we mm. all know that if 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 the individual is confident with what they do and how they look and how they feel about them the company mm. itself will benefit from that mm. it's a it's a fair question because the thing is and like Take what I say next with a grain of salt, because I don't want to. I don't want what I'm about to say next to come across as insulting. Uh, and I say that because my technicians, right, most of them did not finish education past high school, right? and you know, the ones who are typically really bright, pharmacy tech jobs are typically transient jobs for the people who are really bright and really driven because they understand, hey, this is just one you know, one step in my journey toward a, a, a richer career path, right? Uh, some people get stuck or they settle for pharmacy jobs because maybe their family ran out of money. Like I worked with a really bright technician, you know, she, her family was, money was tight. And so, you know, when other expenses came up, she had to withdraw from college. So really smart girl, but just didn't have the resources or wasn't willing to pull out loans to advance her own education until later when she had a little more money saved up. Uh, but others, right, they, you know, I know one technician, when she started working as a farm tech, she just was like, hey, I like making money. I don't think I want to go to school. And she moved in with her boyfriend and ta-da, right? That was it. And uh, so I say this because on one hand, it's in every company's best interest to invest in personal development for the people because it shouldn't just be about getting the job done. They do need to allow for people to have career advancement, you know, because you don't want to lose somebody uh, talented or bright just because you didn't offer them a chance to move up in the company, right? Uh, you want to show them, hey, this is about, the, we care about who you are as a person and that you're not just a cog in a machine, that you're, you're actually growing into a, a bigger role if, it, if the situation calls for it. Um, with that said, 
if people aren't ready for it, and this is kind of what I was getting back to, like I've bought plenty of books as Christmas presents for my technicians. Like for the last couple of years, I buy all these great books for them, you know, that I know have helped me out. And I usually don't give them a book that I haven't read before. Um, and, you know, sometimes they read them, sometimes they don't. And I'll ask them sometimes, I'll just say, hey, you know, Abby, did you even bother opening the books? And some are just like, look, you know, I don't have any time. You know, I get home, I help the kids do their homework and da da da. And I try to try to poke at their schedule a little bit. I'm just like, how much time do you spend on Candy Crush? Right? Like, how much time do you spend just browsing the internet with stuff that's mindless? And, you know, and they say, well, you know, yeah, I get here a little early and I have some downtime. I guess I could like leave the book in my car or something like that. But here's the thing, right? Um, you know, a lot of leadership development programs, much like the one I, I, you know, went to Coach Rice, you know, it's fairly self-selecting because if you make leadership development or personal development mandatory, there's no drive, right? People, it's like people have an idea that they need to get better, but they're not willing to actually put in the work. And so, yeah, on one hand, every company should have resources available so that when people are ready for it, uh, that you're not left kind of, you know, shorthanded with, oh yeah, what could we do? Maybe we do this Tony Robbins test like that. Um, but self-development is one of those things that I've learned that unless someone is, is uh, has that awareness and realizes, oh, you know what, this is actually fun and I actually want to do this. Um, you know, it's nothing you can force upon anybody. So there's no like general rule of thumb of timeline when, a, you know, when uh, your current job is like starting to lose its interest because this happened to me uh this mm -hmm. happened to me recently where i started mm -hmm. came back from a vacation and i was like, mm -hmm. sitting at my desk and i was like what am i doing here <laughs> like i i had a great job mm -hmm. the people yeah. around me were amazing my my mm -hmm. superiors were always supportive of, of mm. me great pension and i'm like yeah. what am i doing here this wow. is mindless meaningless work and it wasn't up until my supervisor came down and sat down beside me and told me, he goes, John, you really need to figure out what you need to do with the rest of your life because you're not happy. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I just looked at him. I'm like, you're right. Mm -hmm. I'm not happy. Yeah. I mean, you think you got what you wanted, right? And then yeah. it turns out, no, there was nothing. Because yeah, that, I'll admit, that was like, my previous job up until I got gunned down by insurance audits, man, like I, that was such a fun job. I had a good work team. I, you know, I had plenty of vacation time, you know, flexible scheduling. Uh, the work was actually, there was enough variety there where I wasn't like hitting my life whenever I showed up for work. I mean, it was great. Like I remember telling a friend, I just was, after I came home one day, I just said, Oh man, work's been awesome. And it's like, can you elaborate on that? Cause I haven't heard you say that in like several years now. And, you know, I think uh, just to build on what you said, though, I mean, like the, the concept that I've really embraced recently is the concept of like lifestyle design. Like for those of you who don't know who Bill Burnett or Dave Evans are, they started a lab at Stanford called the Design Your Life Lab. And the, the shift in thinking that I love that I've had to remind myself of is that, uh, you know, enjoyment of your own life is an iterative process right because what made you happy in your 20s didn't necessarily translate to your 30s what you know made you happy in your 30s didn't translate to your 40s who knows what's going to happen in your 50s 60s and 70s right 
apparently grandkids are a mark of success and you know that's great but you know that's just one that's just one benchmark right um and so i think yeah just this recognizing that you know your life like we want to i have been tempted to think that oh finally once i get this leadership coaching business off the ground like i'm finally going to be able to just kind of put life on cruise control and it's like, no, like I know plenty of other coaches with successful businesses and I see what kind of work they still have to put into their business. Yeah, I mean, they might be on the on the nicer side of it where there's just more about preventive maintenance than it is about like, oh, like where am I going to find money? Uh, but like, you know, the work doesn't end. And, you know, if you have a design mentality, like this is not a problem. If you have a static mentality where you say, no, I just want to just, sleep all the time and you know watch netflix and just kind of do whatever i mean i've talked to people who have free time that i i covet like so much and it's just funny hearing them say oh like i don't know what to do with myself <laughs> with this free time and i'm just like you're you're where i want to be how are you not happier that you don't have to do anything at any given time like that just sounds wonderful like i could just sit on the beach and read a book and not have to worry about whether or not my bills are going to be paid this month like that sounds wonderful but all that to answer your question is just to say yeah like the the, the point is that you realize hey you know what um recognize hey this is one thing i thought it made me happy it turns out it didn't let me get curious about that and then you know what what are the problems that i am excited to take on right what, what are, you know, what are the challenges in life that I'll be willing to explore, even experiment with to say, hey, you know what, let me just try something different uh, just to see where that leads. Because like the whole point of this is like uh, a journey of self-discovery more than anything else, right? To determine, okay, what's, what's meaningful to you and what uh, stands the test of time as you continue to uh, experiment with new things. So I think it's just your opportunity to realize, you know what, I, I thought I knew myself. Turns out I didn't. And now I can learn a little more. Do you think that a company would, it would be in the company's best interest to identify that and say, you know what, okay, you're not really good at this, um, but let's take a little bit load off of your stress and, you know, take this to high, this, this personal development course and figure mm -hmm. out what you need. Mm -hmm. And it mean, if it means changing your career, then mm -hmm. we're in support of that. I think that would be very, very generous for a company to do that. Like, just because the goal, right? I think of any companies to make sure you kind of have the right people on the bus, right? Because um, you need people that match skills to task and motivation, right? If you expect them to really flourish in your environment because there's no substitute for those things. And recognizing when someone is just kind of more of a temporary fit versus a permanent one, um the better off the company is because then you realize hey you know what let's your stability is not having a person in place your stability is in the system that you have to develop new people whenever good people leave right i think that's i think i've always believed in that because you recognize hey you know what if we have a good enough system we're going to attract good people we're going to lose good people because they're going to move on to other things ideally you know we'd be able to keep the good people as long as we can because we allow for internal development for themselves and so that they're able to grow within the company but if that's not possible like they just say hey you know pharmacy is just like a one-stop thing on my way to med school or something like that you just recognize hey i can't control that um, because not every company is going to have opportunities like that like for me right i'm already at a pharmacy manager level there's no role for me beyond that. 
I would love to create a role where I am just like this personal, like, like development coach within the company, like this internal coach for the company. But until I can justify my bottom line and my salary to my company by, you know, doing this kind of work, they're probably not going to let me do that. <laughs> you know? So the next best thing is to look for opportunities where I can still develop people within my job responsibility, uh, whether it's bringing on new pharmacists or things like that. And that's honestly been the most fun part of my job is when I just teach people uh, how to do their jobs well. But uh, yeah, it is in the best company uh, interest of the company to identify, hey, this is someone who's kind of on the fence. They clearly are just kind of willing to say, this is good enough work for now, but you can tell this is not like their long-term career path. Yeah, you know, well, let's just kind of put tabs on them and see how long they want to keep working at this job before they say, you know what, I'm ready to go back to grad school or I want to wait until my kids are off to college and then I start to do my own thing. You know, and this have, being willing to have that dialogue, I think it's, it's healthy for every company, right? Because most companies were just like, don't tell them that you're going to quit yet. Like, don't, because, you know, then they're going to get scared or, you know, they're going to get mad. And it's like, no, you can be honest about what kind of dreams you have with them. And, you know, then that's the company's opportunity to say, okay, how can we align our responsibilities with the stuff that you really love doing? And, you know, maybe there's room for negotiation there. Maybe there isn't. Uh, but at least the conversation's out in the open now. Yeah, maybe it's an IT guy that decides, you know what, I want to go back to personal develop, uh, personal training and uh, start mm -hmm. up a podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you uh, go. Which kind of leads into my next question. I mean, it's one thing for your company to be able to support you in, 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 a, in a change like that, but it's another thing for your loved ones to say, you're doing what now? What? <laughs> What do you mean you're going to leave your nice cushy job that's you're making a very well salary, dedicated pension, you have like eight weeks paid vacation, and you want to leave all that to go do what? How do you deal with the loved ones that that, you know, that are there day in day out? Um, you know, I think the best idea I heard was to have a contingency plan. I think it's just like to say, hey, mom and dad, like, I get it. I think of like Jimmy O. Yang's story when, you know, he was like, I don't want this consulting job my dad got for me. I want to be a Hollywood actor, right? And, you know, he, he was just like, I don't have a plan B. I don't want a plan B because if I have a plan B, I'm going to fall back on plan B, you know? And he talked about how he, you know, had to sleep on friends' couches for a while because, you know, money was tight and things like that. But I think that's, that's not a problem. Like parents see that and they're like, oh, my child is suffering. I need to stop this. Like, you know, come to your senses. But you realize that's just like, you know, half the motivation for them to really make it big is they're like, oh, like, I don't want to sleep on my friend's couch anymore. You know, like, I'm about to get, I'm about to get serious about breaking through. And I think part of it is just, yeah, maybe you just have a consistent plan to say, okay, let me try this for like two months if I don't get enough traction after two months or, you know, I'm willing to put in, I've budgeted, right. Like, you know, a year's worth of savings to cover me for this year. If I don't get this off the ground in a year, then I'll just go back to what I was doing or something like that. Right. Um, and it's less for you as it is for them, right. You just need something to give them peace of mind. You, like, you know, it doesn't have to be a realistic plan. You just need something just to kind of get the noise off your back, right. To say, okay, look, I've really thought this through. That's really the extent of the plan is just to say, okay, like with my business, right? To say, okay, if I haven't done enough work to justify, you know, pivoting to this full time after like two years or, you know, three or however many, 
uh, then yeah, you know, I guess let me just kind of shut things down and just admit that I wasn't serious about making this career pivot. Because honestly, yeah, people, the tough love that my friends who want me to succeed have told me to just like, is this a hobby, Jerry? Like, because like, you can't, you think like you like, you're charging an hourly rate that's, you know, higher than anything you've ever charged. But then you look at the actual money, you just like, I barely made like a thousand this month. Like, I can't live off that. <laughs> you know, you're like, I, it's one thing to just be paid just for the technical skill, but when you own your own business, right, you're like, oh, I have overhead and taxes and, you know, benefits, and, you know, marketing and sales efforts and all these, you know, website cost things. And you realize, you know, that, that hourly rate, it's one thing if you're only wearing one hat, but when you wear seven, it's not a lot of money for all seven. And uh, yeah, so that's, I think that's just to say, hey, you know, yeah, like mom and dad, right? Oh, I don't think you should start this leadership coaching business. I don't even know what this is. And it's like, well, you know, I just say, hey, you know, I could tell them a contingency plan. Okay, let, just let me try this for two years. If I don't gain enough traction, I'll just stop or, you know, I'll consider stopping. And then otherwise, because if you really, you know, are willing to break free, you just say, well, look, it's my decision. You know, you can, you know, you can either worry about whether or not succeed, or you can do your part to help get me business or, you know, things like that, or help get me guests and stuff like that. You can support, you can support my habit, or you can worry about it, which one's more helpful. It's, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's a very fine line, and a yeah, very distinct line that you have to draw in the sand. Yeah. Um, for me, it was made uh, when I moved down here to South Florida. Mm-hmm. I can only take, talk about my experience, and yeah. because I'm the best representation of me. So yeah. uh, for me, when I lost my job, um, I was in the transition of moving from Toronto to Florida. And when I got here, it was about two months of me running around, getting everybody moved in. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, was, it wasn't up until like a month and a half ago, a month ago, actually, yeah, a month and a half ago, where I was like, this is what I'm doing. I don't have anything to fall back on because I'm not allowed to work in the U.S. on a visitor's visa. Uh, when I come back with my E2 visa, it's all, it's good to go. I'm gone. Like yeah. it's, wow. and it's, um, it's an interesting space to be living in because it's, you either succeed mm-hmm. or you starve. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's a good way for people to be living their lives? Honestly, you know, I wouldn't have said this maybe five or six years ago, but if that's the environment that honestly gets you wired to, to give your best efforts every day, you know, it's, you adapt to whatever environment you're in, right? Like I remember Lewis Howes talks about, he's like, you're only as strong as your adversity makes you. And I didn't like that statement at first, but I realized it's true. Like I see it where the only reason I got stronger was that I was like, crap, I can't rely on my parents' charity anymore, right? Like it was fun for a while when I lived at home, I didn't have to pay rent and I used that money to go on trips. And that was a, you know, that was a nice consolation prize. But the cost was number one, the stability that I was paying for, you know, by being a slave to benefits and 401k for this company that I hated. And number two, I was emotionally stunting myself because I wasn't even cooking. Like I wanted to cook, I'd look up all these recipes and then I would never use them. And then my mom would see me and take pity on me and then just cook more food for me. And then so like, it was an unproductive cycle. Like she was my best resource and I'm not here to blame her guys. Just don't get me wrong. But this is, this is what happens when we start enabling people, right. Talking about leadership again, 
like if I, you know, to bring it back to a work setting, right? If I, um, you know, I'm supposed to catch and fix any mistakes that my technicians make before they leave the pharmacy. Sometimes it's a good thing where I catch something and yeah, you know, like patients don't get sick or they don't get hurt or they don't get killed because, you know, I caught the error. But if I don't teach my technicians to prevent making that error to begin with, now I'm doing two jobs for the price of one and my technicians aren't getting any better, right? And so there was this interesting discussion over whether something was a systemic error where the technicians just weren't getting it or if it was just, they were just being careless. And so I say that because, yeah, ideally maybe some people need a, like a more gentle environment, like, you know, like this violet doesn't spring up unless the greenhouse like settings are exactly it. But a lot of people are dandelions that, you know, you can knock them around a little bit and they're still going to sprout up. So, you know, uh, that was Eric Barker's metaphor, not mine. Uh, great book, by the way, uh, Barking Up the Wrong Tree. But yeah, I, I say that because like, it's like with like some sales people, right? That are commission only, right? Like there's some people who say, oh no, give them a base salary plus commission. I'm like, like, no, that's a crutch, right? If people really hustle on the commission only, I've seen, I've heard of reps that will, like their bosses will tell them you're doing too well. We we're paying you too much money because you're bringing in so much work for us. And I was just like, Wait, that how is that a problem? Like, of course they should. You, of course you should pay them more. Like, if they're being in business, why wouldn't you be happy to pay them more money? Like, commission only is actually a blessing in this case. I'm just like, nope, kill what you eat. All right, there's no ceiling on the amount of money I can make. All right, I'm gonna do it. So, yeah, I say that because yeah, um, you know, maybe that's the environment when people say, you know what, failure isn't fatal. It's just kind of like, oh, if I don't make if I don't make the sale, I don't eat. Okay, nope, I better go make some sales. That's it. And it, and it works for them. Do you think that's a really good way to build a uh, culture into a, in, into a company? Hmm. It's a fair, it's a fair question. Um, I think it's not necessarily for every company um, because everyone's wired a little differently in terms of like risk aversion or, you know, level of support that they need. So it's a very nuanced question to ask, but if you want that kind of environment, because you, and you want to attract people who, who do well in that environment, that's entirely your choice. So I think it's just more about if this is the environment that you need for your company in order for it to succeed on a, on a pretty high level. If you want people that are like, nope, I'm fearless. I, I no is just not a problem for me. Sure, right? I mean, and every, I think every company needs that. Maybe for sales, maybe not other for other departments maybe, uh, but definitely for like, companies that are in marketing and such, you want people that are, you want an environment where it's just like, okay, if you don't get business, we can't pay you. I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair assessment. Cool. So basically trying to align uh, the people you bring in towards the culture that you want into a company or into the company that you want to create or company that you're a part of. Yeah. I mean, cause you can think like there's this, and this leads to an interesting discussion because Right. On one hand, as the boss, right, that's why I like working for these independent pharmacies where I get, I get to create my own culture. You know, I get to say, this is how I like to run things. I think this is what's fair. But then, you know, like if that doesn't matter much if you bring in people that don't agree with your culture, right? If you let the wrong people on the bus and they're just like, ah, oh, this seat's uncomfortable and I don't like this much and I think this is unfair. All of a sudden now you have a conflict that you could have pre prevented entirely if you just screened your candidates a little better. Right. Um, 
in this case, right, you want a shared culture where you want, you know, people to have a say. And, you know, if you were in charge, how would you run this place, right? And then you start to get some really good ideas there because I don't want to make it sound like I have all my best ideas. I just know what I like. Um, but yeah, I think you people would avoid a lot of problems when you can, you set the culture you think you need and then you find people that are going to be compliant with that culture, not because they're like scared to, to push back, but that they say, hey, I like the way Jerry runs things. And yeah, I want to be part of this team. Yeah, because it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting conversation because you hear a lot of uh, bigger companies are changing the culture of their company. And at what point do you think it's important for a company to say, you know what, maybe we need to change the way uh we look and we feel i mean just look at your churn rate you know are you (laughs) how often are you bringing on new people to replace old ones like how often are people quitting right how often are people really being honest that they're frustrated at their jobs or they don't feel like they're being supported or, or or your bottom line isn't where it needs to be Right. Because I've seen it done poorly. Like I remember one of my friends who left his company, he just got frustrated because the company says, yeah, we don't care if we have high churn rate because if we lose good people, we know that there's enough desperate candidates out there that are going to, you know, apply for jobs. And they don't seem to mind the the extra time it takes to transition someone out and transition someone in and and do all that and all the developmental costs of trying to get someone up to speed while you're losing all sorts of business. And the fact that these there are companies out there that are that complacent that say, eh, you know, we're okay. (laughs) <laughs> it's like all right how's that working for you so the sooner it's like you have to balance between you know what you feel like is true to the company's values and you know what uh, you feel like the company was built on and you also want to be receptive to new ideas like how do you you have to kind of honor both tradition and innovation right where you're just kind of like okay like here are some things that are true how they manifest may be a little different but let's you know how do we make sure that you know, we're not completely compromising ourselves and just like, okay, let's just rebrand everything. And then, you know, people wonder like why we changed the name or anything else like that. Um, I think it's just, yeah, like I've never known people to regret building in reflection time, like whether it's for personal development or a company to come together and say, Hey, you know, whether it's once a year or twice a year and say, Hey, how are we doing? Uh, and then to not only just take time to reflect and generate awareness, but to say, okay, what tweaks do we want to experiment with on small scale levels and test out, you know, how we can possibly bring in new ideas or try new things and yeah, improve our, you know, reduce our churn rate, improve our employee retention, improve like our internal development. Um, because a company that is willing to do that, I think is the kind that's willing to survive, right? And they realize, hey, you know what? Uh, our stability isn't guaranteed, like very little, right? Like even Amazon, right? I'm reading like the stories of unions that are coming together because like their their labor practices are, are, are getting really ugly, uh, you know, as they're coming to light in the media. And it's like, okay, yeah. Like you'd think that's Amazon is stability, but maybe there's enough disruptors that are still you know, causing problems. And that's not a problem. Like you want people to, hey, like don't settle for status quo. That, that's what COVID taught us, right? We're just kind of like, hey, like what we thought was always going to be the case was no longer. A lot of businesses shut down. A lot of new businesses cropped up. A lot of new business models came into play. Hybrid workspace is now like the, you know, the number one priority for a lot of people. So a company that's willing to be agile is I think that's one of the fun terms out there and to say, hey, you know what? We want to be receptive to making, really taking good care of our employees, the ones that do that. Yeah, 
Like you want to, you want to take their feedback seriously. Don't, don't pander to them. Right. But you know, if they're telling you, if they're being honest about what they need from you in order to succeed, uh, it's a good time to listen. And it helps the employee grow. Right. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, that, that's coming from an ex employee. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the things that, I, that bothered me with uh, the place that I worked at is they said that they wanted you to grow, but they didn't give you the tools for you to grow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, Oh, we're giving you money. We're, we'll give you some money for, uh, for pro for, to go back to school, but they never told mm -hmm. you what to go say, so, you know what you're, you have an interest in, in technology. Uh, mm -hmm. Here's a couple programs that we're sponsoring. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you try that? And we'll mm -hmm. pay for it. Yeah. Instead, they were like, oh, yeah, we're, we'll give you $2,000 every, every year so you can go, so you can go to school. It's like, okay. <laughs> what programs do you suggest I take? Where do mm -hmm. you see, like, mm -hmm. for me, if I'm an employer, I would have a vision of where I would want to see my employee in 10 years, 15 yeah. years. Mm -hmm. And I would want to guide them down that path. I, mm -hmm. I had none of that mm -hmm. at my last place of work. Yeah. So yeah. it's um, yeah. it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to uh, to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, and it and to do it at a level that's not just nominal, right? Like they're just like, oh, here's two thousand dollars. Yeah, have at it. And then you're like, all the programs I want like need five thousand. Like, so what is this 2000 going to do for me? Right. And they're not obligated to cover the entire cost, but like, are they even looking right? Do they even have an idea of how you want to grow as a person? Right. They didn't even try. They're just like, yeah, oh, yeah, we, we, we put something, we put some money in the budget for this. Yeah. You know, have at it. You know, you, you take care of yourself. And, you know, I, well, the example that came to mind, that was really funny. Cause I remember at one point we had a technician that was like, we need Apple watches to do our jobs. Well, and the company's just like, nah, <laughs> that's cute. Like, thank you for your suggestion. We're going to say no. Um, we don't need to, like I said, don't overly cater just because someone has a diva ish request, but it is, I think just, if I had to do it all over again, like the, the book that comes to mind with your example, right? There's a great book called it's your ship by captain D Michael Abrashoff. And, one of the transformations to take that ship from being like the delinquent to like the best damn ship in the Navy, as he liked to call it, was that he started to get to know his people and he started to figure out what made them tick. And he realized some people wanted, you know, professional development or they wanted to go to school. And so they would have like tuition help assistance, you know, to, to do that. And not only that, right, not only help them get the degree, but say, hey, how do you want to turn around and help the ship with that degree, right? So that the company or the, in this case, the ship was actually benefiting from the fact that they were investing in their personal development, right? And some people say, hey, you know, we want to do community service projects uh, while we're docked somewhere because we know we want to give back because we know how much, you know, people have helped us get to where we are. And he's like, yeah, have at it, right? And he's just kind of like, give them the ball, get out of the way and let them express themselves and their desires. And, you know, for the leadership to come alongside people in a genuine way to say, hey, John, you know, yeah, tell us about what kind of degree you're looking for. You know, how can we help you with that? Because maybe they don't have the money to cover your entire tuition. They're not necessarily obligated to do that, but maybe they do cover some textbooks. Maybe they do cover, maybe they introduce you to someone at school. Maybe they have connections to the school you want to get to, right? Uh, and I think there's a way to say, hey, yeah, let's really help you move forward with this. And let's talk about how, you know, if you're able to turn around and help the company with your newly acquired skills, you know, great.
right? If not, hey, yeah, let's let's make sure you're on the path and make sure we have a transition plan and replacement plan for you because, because I mean, at the end of the day, right, the company has to look out for its own interests because if it doesn't, like the company dies. And so there is a there is a fine balance between, okay, yeah, you know, how do we help our people get to where they want? And how do we also make sure that we stay viable even as we help people get what they want, even if that means them leaving the company? Well, it's interesting. You said you 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 mentioned something there was something really important, mm-hmm. um, where the per, the that person that you were talking about was interviewing each and every single one of his employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at what at what level of management would do something like that? Would it be supervisor, manager, uh, director, mm-hmm. VP? Where at what level do you would you envision something like that? Yeah, I mean. At the very least, like whoever, if you are a supervisor and you have direct reports, anyone immediately that you're supervising, you should get to know those. Those are your immediately, those are your, some of your most important relationships. And your boss also should know exactly how you are wired. So if you're like this mid-level manager and you have direct reports, get to know them. And also, you know, you got to get along with your boss, right? That's just a no-brainer. And so... Um, I mean, technically, every leader at every level, right, should do this. Whatever your immediate circle of influence is, whether it's higher or lower, get to know your people well. Um, you know, it's like with my technicians, I get to know their personal lives, whether I like it or not, because usually some trauma is like cutting into their availability. And, um, you know, they're obligated to tell me everything. Like, I've, it's kind of like the parent with like multiple siblings, like multiple kids, and you realize the kids will have their own conversations. You can, you have to kind of be clued into to most of it in case they're up to some mischief or something, but there, you will not hear every conversation that they're having. And cause I'll hear it. Like I'll hear plenty of laughter on stuff. And the most inappropriate thing for me to do as a boss would be go in there and be like, Hey, what y'all talking about? Right. Oh, nothing. <laughs> you know? uh, so yeah, I mean, it's true for every leader on every level. Hey, get to know your circle around you because you're going to spend a lot of time with them. And the sooner you appreciate uh, what makes them tick and how you can best support them, uh, the better you, the better off you'll be. Yeah, um, we'll switch gears a little bit and uh, we'll sure. talk about some uh, interesting books. You put in the thing books and I'm like, ooh, yeah. I love a good book. And for yeah. me, it's uh, for me, it's all it's about personal development and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, business and stuff like that. How would you define an interesting book? Because I had a conversation with my sister about this and she loves her romance novels and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm like, what does it give you? That, 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 that's, that's, <laughs> That's that's my that, that's my outlook. But how about you? How would you define an interesting book, and why would somebody read some and one of them? Oh man, such a great question. If I look back at the books that I really enjoyed, I feel like the biggest reason is that yeah, I mean, you get something useful or interesting out of it. And I'm very careful with that language because I read. I've learned to mix in some fiction along with like the nonfiction, like self-improvement development space, because I believe in the power of a good story. Um, and I believe that actually helps my leadership is learning to study good stories and drawing on them whenever I need to inspire people or inspire myself even. 
And so, yeah, you know, I look back at books like Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand talking about, you know, Louis Zamperini's journey. For those of you who don't know it, like he was an Olympian in Berlin. He got called up into active duty in World War II. His uh, plane goes down over the Pacific. He has to fight off sharks for like six weeks. Uh, and then he washes up on a POW camp, a Japanese POW camp, and then survives torture and then, you know, has to deal with this PTSD. Like, you're just like, I can't believe like someone actually went through all this. Uh, you know, is that self-development? Not directly, but is that inspiring? Is that a story about resilience that I could really draw my life from? Absolutely. Like, uh, you know, I like I think about the, you know, the Bourne series, the spy series. I love spy books. You know, I love hearing about espionage and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I think if I had to look back on the interesting books, whether nonfiction or fiction, it's just that there's something useful or interesting in them that I would look forward to. Um, so it doesn't have to be actionable, not necessarily, but if it is a story that's compelling and exciting, then yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to balance the two because I do want things that are relevant that, to me, like Productivity or Atomic Habits by James Clear. That's a fun one. Um, but also, yeah, there's some really good stories out there. Celeste Hung, whether people have read Everything I've Never Told You, or little fires everywhere, just really, really like good stuff and just stories that make you think and just stretch your mind and say, you know what, I never would have considered that before unless I listened to this story. Yeah, and coming from a Greek descent, we all know about a good story. Good and drama and all on the conflict. <laughs> yeah, and yeah like all those plays. We yeah. really know our good stories. Um, like at this point, I'm reading like three books at the same time. So, and it's all nice. about personal development and growing business and stuff and online business and all that stuff. But uh, I'm curious, what are your top three? What, what do you recommend for people to read? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, to, to distill down the three books is a tough, but fun exercise. So let me, if I had to give three right now, this is just a snapshot of what Jerry would give people. Um, I referenced one of them earlier. Uh, Eric Barker, uh, Barking Up the Wrong Tree, just redefining success. And he's got some really fun stories and things that will make you think, like the Ghost Army in World War II and, you know, valedictorians and how few of them actually become CEOs. That's a fun one I should tell my parents about. <laughs> it's like, you want me to start my own company? I don't need to be valedictorian. Um, so that's one. That, that one gets a lot of good feedback from my coaching clients as well. They really like that book because, yeah, like they're just so used to certain definitions of success and, you know, to be able to kind of throw it back in their parents' faces. No, you know, there's something better. Uh, number two. Hmm. Oh, man, I've, I'm going to reference everything I never told you by Celeste Ng because it's basically like this, this mystery about how like this family's middle daughter, like, mysteriously died and they don't know how and it's just like there's this interracial marriage that and they play up this tension so well and maybe it's just because me being an asian in a in an american environment they're just like oh like she it's like she's writing my story uh, of all this tension so that's another fun one and then number three oh yeah i mean i have to mention at least one heath brothers book because i love what the heath brothers have done um, and so in this case, I'll mention a book called Decisive, uh, where they talk about, you know, having a framework to account for all the, all the blind spots that our brain tends to, to get trapped in, whether it's like sunk cost bias or like opportunity cost or things like that, because, you know, there's a reason why a lot of tattoos get reversed 
but no one talks about the ones that are reversed. <laughs> you know, you never hear about those. No. Nope. No, and I was, uh, I never got a tattoo, but I was, uh, well, I had a father that told me that if I got a tattoo, he showed me the knife that he would help himself to take it off, so. Oh, nice. <laughs> including the limb that was that it was on so i'm like yeah i don't think i need a tattoo (laughs) but to all those people listening and watching that you have tattoos good for you it's it is what it is good for you um yeah yeah, i'm a huge sci-fi nerd so i love a good sci-fi story yeah i haven't dove into one of those in a while uh for the people for people like out there that say that they don't have time to read mm-hmm. reading is a for me reading is pro- probably the most pow- one of the most powerful mediums that we have mm-hmm. what would you say to somebody who claims that they don't have time to read uh, i mean because I, I get it from my technicians all the time <laughs> it's just honestly it's just the question of priority because it's a question of priority and persistence because if you're if reading is a truly uh you know a priority for you you'll find time to do it or you'll find a creative way to do it like i I'll, i love telling people about this because this is how one friend kind of upgraded my life he told me about an app called libby it's by overdrive it's free you link your library card to the app and then you can basically rent audiobooks or ebooks for free through whatever library you have access to and, you know, you could do Audible if you want to spend a little extra money and have a bigger library. But Libby, for those of you who just, you know, just want to add no cost, you know, access to audiobooks and such. And I listen to audiobooks all the time in the car, right? Or I listen to them while I'm just eating. And so, you know, there's this great, you know, debate over, well, did you actually read the book if you didn't flip the pages? And it's like, no, if as long as you extract the information that's useful, that's all that matters, right? And I listened to Steve Wozniak's autobiography on audiobook, and I'm so glad I did. And no one's like, well, it doesn't count. You didn't read, you didn't actually read it. It's like, nope, I, I know the story. <laughs> We're okay. So I just tell people, I'm just like, hey, just get creative with it. Because honestly, if, uh, you know, you, have, you spend plenty of time in your car or, you know, plenty of time at the gym and you just are listening to podcasts or other things like that, just try a book instead. It's okay. That or, you know, set aside 15 minutes every morning before the rest of the world wakes up. And then just read a couple pages. Who knows? Yeah. 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 Well, I've read, listened yeah. to the audiobook of uh, uh, how, how to breaking the habit of being yourself. Mm-hmm. And my blew me away. So, yeah, I was about to say that sounds like it'll it'll short circuit you if you're not careful. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, well, we're coming up close to the end of the show. And these are the seven or eight questions I ask all my guests. I just like to get your perspective on these seven or eight questions, um, with the increase in people suffering from depression, from the Mm -hmm. constant uncertainty that we've been living through for the last two years, Mm -hmm. what would be the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? Um, hmm. Uh, I would say trust in humanity. There's a lot of reasons not to trust in humanity, but, you know, whenever the, our backs are against the wall, someone finds a solution. And they have. Is it ideal? No, but 
you know, someone eventually came with the COVID vaccine and thankfully we're all better for the ones who decide to get vaccinated. We're better for it. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, what's the one thing that you do daily that amplifies your ability to stay focused? Uh, making my bed. Hmm. Yeah. Dr. Jordan Peterson right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, if you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself at 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? Um, rejection isn't personal. Oh, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. Looking back, would you change anything? Yes. Of course I would. Like, uh, you know, in hindsight, this is, there are some decisions that I don't have time to go into now, but it's like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I take that one back. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, what scares you? Regret. Mm -hmm. Another powerful one that we could spend another hour on. Yeah. Uh, where do you see adapting leaders in the next five years? Oh, man. Yeah. Um, my personal preference would be, you know, my coaching people. I got a steady stream of clients that are excited to work with me. Uh, you know, I've got, you know, enough, you know, free time also just because I can charge premium rates to really free up my time to do uh, invest in meaningful activities and relationships to me. And yeah, just getting my name out there in a way that is, uh, you know, entirely referral based because I don't even have to market myself anymore because people uh, respect my reputation that much. So that's where I would love to be in five years. Cool. How about you personally? Um, I need to remind myself to, to a point where I want to be at a point where I don't feel like I have to chase after something just to be happy. Uh, where can people find more about you? Yeah, uh, check out the website, www.adaptingleaders.com. Um, the guide with the five-step framework I talked about earlier is available to download for free. You can also schedule a complimentary 30-minute call. You know, tell me what you're working on or get some complimentary coaching. Uh, or check out the blog where I share you know, interesting uh, tidbits and, and uh, summaries of leadership literature and such. Any final thoughts? Just, um, I just hope people are willing to um, do the work of generating awareness and, and really removing what's holding them back. Very good. And um, we will be posting all your links in the show notes below so everybody has easy access to your content and access to yourself as well. If you have any questions, please go over and uh, ask Jerry for his insights, because as you can tell, he's got pretty, pretty deep insights when it comes to uh, figuring out stuff for yourself. Jerry, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it has been a pleasure. Uh, I know I took up a lot of your time today, but it was, like I said at the beginning, it's, uh, it's, there's so many deep questions that we needed to address. There's still even more that we need to address, but I think, uh, with all, with all your, your insights as being managed at the mid-manager mid level and you doing the programs that you do, 
with adapting leaders. It's just such a, it's such a great way of giving more to the public and leading them into a, a, a really good direction. So thank you so much for everything that you do. Well, hey, John, thanks for providing a space where we can talk about fun stuff and, you know, just seeing where it goes. So keep it up. Thank you. Going through hard times is just a test. What you need to know is that when you get, when you get out of whatever you're going through, you will be stronger than ever before, and you don't need to go through it alone. Always know that you are not alone. Stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories that are just like yours. Until then, to everyone out there listening, I wish you a good morning, good afternoon, or good night, wherever you may be in this crazy world. Hey, everybody, it's John from Resilient Reboot Productions and the Fitness Oracle. Thank you for watching this episode, and I really hope that you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to subscribe, hit the bell, and share this video if you are watching this on YouTube or on Rumble. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, or whatever streaming service that you may be using, please give us a five-star rating and a positive review as it will help us reach more people that are suffering from mental health issues. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to join us on Pod Inbox. This is a great platform that we can keep the conversation going. Over the years, we've discovered that the best way to help people regain their confidence back of whatever fitness goal that they are looking for is to put together a tight-knit community that will be here to support you in that journey. In order for us to do that, we are partnering up with Pod Inbox to help us create that platform and give you that opportunity to uh, have your voice, have your voice heard. So all you have to do is click on the link in the show notes and get your set up your free account on Pod Inbox right now. And let's hear your voice. So I can't wait to start talking to you guys there. It's going to be a, it's a great platform for all of us to get together and discuss the issues that are, that we're suffering from until then. I'll see you guys soon.